Our gospel passage this morning is found in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They were saying to one another, Who shall roll away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A quick show of hands this morning. Who out there followed the instructions that went out on Saturday in the email and got up early this morning? Who got dressed and shaved? Who put on your best Easter clothes and is ready for church? Show of hands. I might see one or two out there. That's just what I thought. Now, let's do the other question. Let's see all of the hands of those who just rolled out of bed, whose sleepies are still in your eyes, who are wearing disheveled Easter PJs. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Well, I want you to know that, that I don't want you to get used to it. Next year, we're all going to be together in one place, and there will be dresses and ties and bow ties and hats and bonnets and tails and, and no more footy jammies in worship. For now, I think you all should follow my example, who, because I am, am dressed and, and wearing a suit and tie in my living room on this glorious day of resurrection. Just so you know, my children just looked across the couch at me and, and are, have this quizzical look at, at, at me because I'm beginning a, an Easter Sunday with an Easter sermon with a bold-faced lie. There is a strange irony this morning. For this might be the very first time that, that we as a people experience Easter just like those first witnesses. We are shut up in our homes, afraid, not saying anything to anyone, at least not saying anything close to people. With all of the joy and the excitement and the anticipation that has grown up over the years, we may forget that the, how different that first Easter act actually was. With all of our traditions and preparations, we may forget that it was silence, that was the first response of resurrection. Silence and fear. Those women didn't skip to the tomb wearing brand new Easter togas. 
There was no hidden eggs dotting the path leading them along the trail. There were no joyful hymns to greet them. No, they trudged, feet dragging, head down, sagging through that sun-speckled graveyard. The only gift they had on that first Easter morning was some three-day-old spices. Their only feeling was not happiness and, and joy, it was grief, numbing them to the bone. But then, then as they, as they crest the hill and look into the, to the tomb, they, they are greeted by a man dressed in white. Maybe it was the same man that was in chapter 14 of Mark who, who ran through the city uh, without his clothes on, streaking. Kids, you can, you can ask your parents what streaking means after the service is over. There was this man sitting in the empty tomb, which is kind of a weird place to be sitting and hanging out. And he gives the ladies, those women, two very simple commands. He says, number one, don't be afraid. And number two, go and tell the disciples that Christ is ahead of you in Galilee. Uh, apparently, all of the misogynists in the world are correct, and women really can't follow directions. It's not me. It's, it's the Bible, said the cowardly pre preacher to, to the blank camera with, with no one else around. I, I made sure Yvonne was upstairs and, and couldn't hear. Um, I will say that just between you and me, she really does appreciate when, when I help her out with directions when we're cooking. You know, I, I'm, I'm subtle about it. I, I suggest a, a, a different utensil and, and try to explain the difference between a, a teaspoon and a tablespoon. You know, she will get mad and yell and sometimes just leave the kitchen totally. But, but I know deep in her heart, she really appreciates it. In Mark's Gospel... It ends with the women, these first hearers of resurrection news, completely disregarding the directions they're given. Do not be afraid and go and tell, the man in white said. And they say nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This doesn't usually make it into Easter sermons. We preachers try not to tell people that the very first response to resurrection was disobedience. We, we kind of keep that out. It sends the, the wrong message to folks. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Greek in Mark's gospel actually makes it even more emphatic. He uses a double negative. They said nothing to nobody. That, now, that's okay for you and I to use around these parts, but don't let, don't let those city folks hear us. And even more problematic is than the poor grammar is that the oldest manuscripts we have actually end right there in verse 8. I know if you look at your Bibles, there's, there's going to continue on for, for a few more passages, but the very oldest manuscripts, the very oldest copies of Mark's gospel stop in verse 8. They, they actually end in the middle of a sentence. The final word of the gospel is a conjunction. They said nothing to nobody they were afraid for. Fade to bat black, roll the credits. It's as if Mark is sitting there with his pen in hand or quill in hand, and he kills over and dies right in the middle of a sentence. Or maybe the Gestapo break down the door, or his editor is reading it, and he cries out in horror and rips the page. That first Easter was so different. 
We normally rush to this day with anticipation and excitements. We want bunnies and eggs and plastic grass that hides in your carpet for weeks. We don't want to be met on this day by these hanging, unsettled statements, by this fear and silence. But that's where we are, at home and afraid, saying nothing to no one. To be fair to the women, they heed half the words of the man dressed in white. They, they go, they, they flee, they run for their lives, maybe not all the way to Galilee, but they do go. Of course, they definitely don't tell anyone. They don't tell Peter or James or John. Silence and fear, terror and amazement are all they carry with them. And they say nothing to no one. For they were afraid. The, the question I've been dealing with all week is, is why? Why were they so afraid? And I think we all have an idea. And I think we all know it wasn't the, the stranger in white. And it wasn't the rolled away stone. And it wasn't even the missing body. I think they were afraid. Because even as wrecked and devastated as they were by Jesus' death, they knew how to deal with death. In the face of, of death, you, you, we have these rituals and these routines. You go and you, you view the body, then you seal the tomb, and finally you go back to your house and eat fried chicken and green bean casserole with your neighbors around. You accept that there's no going back, and then you get on with your life. But what do you do when the tomb is empty? How do you get closure when something like that is left open? When the body is gone, how do you move on? They were scared because on that Easter morning, they had no idea how to behave in the face of death's undoing. Perhaps it was their misplaced expectations, their blinded vision that was so violently and fearfully upset Throughout this gospel, Mark plays with the idea of, of vision. And he, he, he asks the question subtly, who really sees? Who really looks? It's certainly not the disciples. They are with Jesus from the very beginning. They witness every single mighty act. They, they see the seas calm and the diseases cure. And all they can think about is power and prestige and then in the final hour, self-preservation. And yet there was this blind beggar on the outskirts of Jericho who had never seen Jesus, who had never witnessed a miracle. And yet when he hears of Christ coming, he shouts out to him and he recognizes him for the Savior he is. Boy, the more things change, the more they stay the same. For here we are, huddled in our homes, disciples that we are, and we are still blind and afraid. Some of us are blind because we've never met Jesus before. 
Like those first disciples, we, we go through the motions with our eyes firmly shut. Some of us are afraid because we have seen Jesus. And we know enough of this God to know that when this God gets involved in our lives, he upsets all of our plans. God pulls down and destroys. God builds and plants. And God hardly ever considers what we want in that process. And so we sit through services with white-knuckled fear, thinking that God might call us. Some of us are afraid. Because like those very first witnesses, we have heard the call of God. And we have seen where that calling takes other people. But the truth is this morning, we should all be afraid. For Easter does not end the gospel of Mark. Easter ends the world as we know it. We should be afraid because this story isn't about our human potential. It is about the actions of God. And the actions of God scare us to death. In the infancy of that first Easter morning, three women approached the tomb with broken hearts and blinded eyes. They expect to find the body safe and secured where it was laid. They expect to pay their last respects to this one whom they have loved and cared for for so long. They expect to, to put this part of their life to bed, scrapbooked and stamped with photos and memories on the shelves of the past. But they flee from that rocky tomb with crushed expectations. Jesus is not safe. Jesus is not contained. Jesus is not a memory of the past. But he is something that is wild and opened and out in front of them in that great unexpected future. For Christ is risen. Jesus calls out to us to reach beyond our fear, beyond our expectations into that world of the wild and untamed possibility, into the world of the not yet, because it is only there, out in front of us, out in the land of tomorrow, beyond our comfort and walls that we find the Rivgen Lord who is ever calling us forward. It is there in the world of tomorrow where peace rules and lambs reign, where hatred and death are forgotten. It is in that place that we will know the resurrection. Easter is calling us forward beyond silence and outside of fear. The kingdom of God is breaking into our world, changing what we come to expect, reshaping our future, and bringing us news that Christ is risen. But perhaps the greatest news this early Easter is that God's plans, God's expectations will, not, will be fulfilled. And they will be fulfilled with or without us. Verse 8, So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. And yet the story goes on. The disciples hide in their homes, but the gospel is proclaimed. The witnesses, 
They tell no one nothing. But the kingdom starts popping up all around them in new and surprising ways. The followers were blind, but God was active. For Jesus is alive. And that, my friends, is very good news. Especially for all of us who witness the mighty acts of God, but miss the vision. Especially for all of us who are at home and afraid and silent. Especially for those who flee from the empty tomb with terror and amazement. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.